the Lord reads this. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to, be put to shame in a moment. What a psalm. Okay. A lot of uh, depressed, depression motif here. And this Psalter right here is actually one of anguish of God's chastisement. And this psalm has come to be what we would consider a penitential psalm. Meaning this is a song of confession of our sins before the Lord. And so the, the Roman Catholic Church actually uses this song or recites this song during Lent. Now, what sin did David commit? We do not know. It's a mystery to, to everyone. We do not know. It is not written here. But we do understand and we can infer from the text that it was something that he did do that offended the Lord. Um, and we believe that that is the reason for David's anguish. And David is crushed not because of his sin, but when you read the text, it is because of the, the consequence of sin. It is the result of God's presence being removed from David, and more so having God's wrath being poured upon him. And so the, the loving presence of God taken away, being traded with the heavy hand of the Lord. Now, what was the punishment, the nature of the punishment, we will read later on, is the rising of his enemies, which is the habit of God to do. We know when Israel sinned, how did Israel, how was Israel disciplined? The rising of foreign nations, Assyria, Babylon. These nations were, in, in a sense, God's rod of anger. And they were used as God's instrument to discipline Israel. And so we see his enemies rising up as a result of his sin. And this was how God dealt with his people. God's anger. But what we're going to realize, and can we actually acknowledge this about our Lord, God does not stay angry forever. He does not hold grudges. I know some of you guys, and guys can let things go pretty easy. It's usually the, the, the women who can hold on to grudges for years and years and years. 
And it's also because they have just far greater memory. They can remember things like what you did three years ago, what you wore, the fight that you had. And, you know, this is why I think, you know, they're able with, with that vivid memory that they have to hold it. But our Lord, with perfect memory, said, hey, I will not stay angry forever. If you repent, that's it. His discipline, his chastisement, is motivated not by anger, but love. Well, before we uh, dive into that aspect of God's wonderful nature, let's read the, the first two to kind of set the tone. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. This is a plea from David. And notice here, he is not pleading for forgiveness. He's not saying, oh Lord, my sin is great, and so forgive me, Lord. This is not what he's crying out to the Lord for. He's saying, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Do not crush me. Okay? Because if you, if you pour out your red-hot anger upon me, I will cease to exist. Says, nor discipline me in your wrath. Some of you guys grew up in a in a household where you were disciplined a lot by your parents, and some of you guys have uh, a mother or father that you you really fear, and that's a good thing. Okay, learning to love them and fear them. Okay? They did their job. But when you get in trouble, and at that moment you realize that you will feel the wrath of either your mother or your father, that is the worst place to be in. I remember when I was a young boy in elementary school, I was the class clown, I messed around, you guys know, I did crazy stuff like kicking the janitor, all these, I was like Dennis the Menace. And for the teacher-parent teacher conference, all the things that I've done was laid out for my father to hear. And with everything that was laid out to my father, you can just see his face get angrier and angrier. And I knew, oh my goodness, I am going to get it when I get home. And that was, I have to say, the longest ride home. I was in the back, and I'm like, I really don't know how I'm going to escape my father's hand of discipline. And so the moment we parked, what did I do? I opened the door, and I, I, I started running. And I ran. I ran to my room, tried to escape my father. But he caught up to me, of course. I can't escape him. You can't, it's unescapable. And there were other times I tried to escape my mother. And she cornered me in a kitchen. And because I was pretty, I was kind of fast for her, she was smart. She kicked me in the shin so that I would get like a dead leg and then I couldn't run away from her. You know? 
the, the, the discipline of our father and mother. And though when we were little kids, we're like, oh, like that is, why are they doing this? But you understand, when you get older, they did it out of love. But at that moment, it, it is, again, as I said, the scariest moment to be. Now imagine the God of the universe looking upon you with his righteous anger. This everlasting God who is looking upon you with his anger. And so, David is feeling that inside of, inside of himself. He is feeling the heat of God's wrath upon him. And I say, I, I don't want us to be motivated by fear as believers in Jesus Christ. But when we look upon our God, I think what we have lost today is this reverent fear of our Lord. This reverent fear of God Almighty. Because maybe a lot of us here, we don't really see God for who He truly is. What His holiness really means. What that entails. That He is a God that demands perfection. For He is perfect without blemish. Now imagine being approached by, by this perfect holy being. So maybe we can learn from the beginning of David's this, this cry out to the Lord is this heart of reverent fear before our Father in heaven. Which will in turn flow out of us a, 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 a respect to him that he deserves as the creator of the universe. And he cries out, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Now he is getting to the extent of his anguish, of his torment inside of himself, to the point where he's saying, My bones are literally being dried up. Your anger, Lord, it is sucking the very life out of me. Many of you guys have um, experienced, you know, uh, negative effects of, of things you have done. Maybe wrong things that you have committed in life. You you pay the piper, and it is it's not it is not uh, pleasant. But what David is going through here is utter darkness. He is in a pit of despair where there is no source of light for him to see. Let me read for you guys. Skip over to verse 6. And I'm sure this caught your eye. I am weary from my moaning. I am crying out to you so long that it is, it is actually driving me to, to, to sleep. 
I'm so tired, I'm weary from not working, not praying, but from my moaning. Since every night I flood my bed with tears. And we, of course, we know that this is hyperbolic. In, in the King James translation, it says, I make my bed swim in my tears. Do you get this imagery? That he's crying so much that, that his tears have filled up the room to the point where his bed is now floating on a sea of his tears. In this situation, the context of his anguish is, a, is like what we read before, self-afflicted. A sin that he has committed and he is paying for, the, for that um, event or series of events. But I'm sure that for many of us here, we have also experienced pain that just comes with being a human being in this fallen world. This doesn't have to be a result of sin. It can just be life. Did I remind you the things that can bring you to your knees where you are pouring out rivers of, of your own tears? Death of a loved one. Financial turmoil. Or you have yourself or someone else who, is, who will be spending a good part of their life in a hospital. There are so many things in life that could sweep us off our feet. So many things. David right here is in the, the lowest point of his life. Since every night I flood my tears, my bed with my tears, I drench my couch with my weeping. Another translation, it, it, it gives this idea of like his, his uh, couch is actually disintegrating because of his own tears. Think of like, you know, ice. You know, when you pour down ice down your sink, if you've ever done that before, and then what happens when you pour even cold water on it? Ice just disintegrates. And this is the idea uh, that we are seeing here, the imagery that we are seeing here. And his own couch is just disintegrating before him because he is crying so much. Have any of you guys have been at that moment in your life where there's nothing you can do but just cry. My eyes waste away because of my grief. His eyes are good for nothing but just to cry. Yeah, that, that, that is the, the sole purpose of his eyes, is just to, to have liquid just flow out from it. And it grows weak because of Whatever the circumstance may be, whatever it may be, as I said before, there are so many things that could uh, cause us uh, to react 
in, in this manner. Now, when we look at this, I, I hope we're not saying, oh man, he's just so overdramatic. This is life. And there's so many people in life who read this when they say, wow, I have lived through this. Or I am living through this. Sad but brutal reality of living in this fallen world. So I pray that when you guys find yourself in those situations, they don't see yourself as, as a failure as a believer in Jesus Christ. It's like, oh man, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be reacting this way. From reading this text, we see that the Lord gives you permission to, to exercise these emotions. It is okay. It is okay to cry. may give you comfort that, you know, there, there are people in the Bible that have gone through, literally, through the pits of hell. Who have been to the darkest place in life. This is David. The one who is considered a man after God's own heart. And if you were to read his biography, just from the New Testament, man, he was a man who had everything together. He had the presence of God with him throughout his life, and everything was dandy. But you read here, the man after God's own heart is crying out to the Lord. Save me. My only companion is my own tears. So whenever you feel hopeless or you are in a dark place in your life, may this psalm give you comfort. You are not alone. You are not the only person in this world to be in that dark place. And that is the first remedy to you getting out of that dark place. When depression hits, it lies to you and tells you that you are alone. The loneliest place to be is in a place of, of utter darkness in your, in your depression. No one can relate to me. No one. There is no one around me who understands. I tell you, David understood. And more than that, God understood. So throw away that lie that you are alone. And that you throw away the lie that there is no hope. So he is in utter darkness, but he does not remain there. Okay, that's the beautiful thing about this psalm. He doesn't remain there. But can I tell you just how close he was to, to death? 
Read verse 5. In death there is no remembrance of you, and Sheol who will give you praise. Now we know that this is not, he is not making a theological statement. Okay? He's using his artistic freedom just to relate to us in a very poetic manner what he's feeling inside. He knows nothing but death. He may be someone who is actually on the brink of death, contemplating, maybe death is better for me. So he feels the Grim Reaper breathing down his neck, so he's, and he's saying, you know what? He, he's talking about death, and, and Sheol is the Old Testament term for uh, death and hell. The death and Sheol are used synonymously. Though he is mentioning death here, verse 5 is actually a cry for help. He is crying out to the Lord. He's saying, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. That's why he's saying, for in death there is no remembrance of you. How can I remember you if I die? Now surely David doesn't believe in annihilationism, where once he dies, that's it. He knows there's life after death. But he is someone who, who has resolved to remain on this earth and to fight this battle. So though it is a, a difficult battle, it is a battle David decided that he's going to fight. So for anyone who is in this dark place, I hope this will also give you courage. Courage to fight. Fight for your right to obtain hope and peace and love, which is freely given to you by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then we get to verse 3. I'm going to be jumping around here, Caleb. My soul is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Now, there may be some of us who have never been to the darkest pit of, of, of depression. And maybe some of us just going through a difficult time, but it's manageable. What, whichever it may be, this question always seems to pop up, isn't it? Is how long? How long, O oh Lord? Think about the analogy, you know. Uh, when you bake a cake, you have to put that cake into the oven. And you put it at the right temperature, and you've got to leave it there for certain period of time. The baker knows when the cake should be taken out. But what about the batter, you know, the cake that is being tested in the oven? If I was that cake, you know, the batter, 
I'll be like, oh my goodness, it's hot. Take me out now. It's painful. And many of us, when we go through painful times, we want to just, you know, escape it in a matter of seconds. That's what we desire. It is not human nature to enjoy pain. We run away from pain and discouragement. So, this is speaking to the reality of the human heart. It's just this desire to, to live in just peace. Isn't it? But, Lord, like how long am I going to be bearing this? It is too much. I'm crying. I see death face to face. How long am I going to be enduring this? And in that time of waiting, a lot of questions or ungodly thoughts begin to rise up. And then that gives way for Satan to actually get a foothold and, and speak lies into your head. Maybe God forgot about you. Maybe you're not loved by God. Maybe he's too busy helping those who matter. Maybe you should just give up. As I said before, though the cake itself does not know when it has to be taken out. You take it out too early, it becomes too mushy. But you take it out too late, it gets burnt. But the, the, the good baker knows when to take it out at the right time. You don't know it. God does. And so that's why David is crying not to his own soul, he's talking to God. He's, he's saying, Oh Lord, how long? This reminds me of, of um, Psalm chapter 27. You know, in Friday evenings, we went through the book of Acts. Towards the end of the book of Acts, Paul is a prisoner, uh, appeals to Caesar, and is on his way to Rome. And in chapter 27, he sails from the island Crete to Rome. And while they are traveling through the Mediterranean Sea, a storm hits them. Chapter 27, verse 20 says, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, no small tempest lay on us. A weird way of saying this is the craziest storm we have ever experienced. All hope of our, of our being saved was at last abandoned. They were at sea for a couple days. And they tried their best to save their own lives. But then it says right here, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. You know, they came to a place where they say, okay, that's, that's it. We're done fighting for our lives. It's almost like they just threw their hands up. Okay, storm, take us. But it was at that moment, it was at that moment 
when they were reassured by Paul himself. And Paul reassuring everyone on the ship, not one life will be taken. As David said, I belong to God. And I have faith that everything he has told me will come to pass. So this is why this psalm is so, so precious to those who are suffering because in the same psalm, when he looks upon his own distress, he is also seeing, has in view, the remedy. That is God himself. Verse 4, Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. And there it is. He appeals to God's love. I pray that when you are in the darkest moment of your life, that you never forget that God loves you. Even in when He is disciplining you. This is a chastisement. David has sinned. He recognizes his sin and crying to the Lord. But he understands one thing about God. He will discipline, but he does it out of love. Because Deuteronomy 8.5 says this, Know then in your heart that as man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. And then it is further explained in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 7, For it is the discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? You know, my father used to always say this to me. When I would complain about him, you know, um, just scolding me for my bad behavior, all of that. He said, you know, if I didn't care about you, I didn't love you. I would have just left you alone. There's truth to that. You know, it is so much easier not to scold. Like seriously, as a parent, I could add years to my life not yelling at Nathan and Jordan, disciplining them. It, It makes me grow gray hair faster. And lose my hair doing that. And having to worry what he does. And then when he does something wrong, me getting... I know it's not good for my health. I know that. But I do that because I love him. And I want him to do the right thing. So this is why... It says, what, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now... This is not, doesn't have to be because a, a direct result of something that you did wrong. It could just be a life lesson that he has for you. Okay? Doesn't, doesn't have to be that, oh, you, you 
accidentally uh, cursed by angry at someone. Maybe he just wants to make you better. And God does that through means of trials. So trials is not because you did something wrong. It's because the Lord loves you enough to guide you through it. Once you come out of it, you become stronger. That your faith is fortified. That you are strengthened. And that you he, then he could use you as a mighty vessel to help others. They say you could tell a, uh, a person they are someone who has deep faith in God. And you could tell that they have deep faith in God by the myriads of suffering they experienced in the past. That's really true. I wish it weren't the case. Because it's painful. God does that. And yes, there will be cases where God will take you lowest depths where you will say oh my gosh this is too far this is too much and so though you don't see God He sees you and He doesn't leave you there but He does that so that you can see at the end of the day that it is only He that sustains Appeal to the love of God found in Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 38-39, For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels, uh, demons nor angels, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is, found, that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So David understood just like Paul understood when he shared that portion of Romans. There is absolutely nothing in this world and in the next that could separate us from the love of God. That is how much God loves you. If you are a child of God, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are loved, greatly loved. And it, is, it is like the understatement of the century. There's no words to, to really capture just how much He adores you. And it is because He loves you, He will sometimes put you in the fire. And it is because He can appeal to the everlasting, the steadfast love of God, that then He could turn to His enemies in verses 8, 9 and 10, and say, hey, depart from me. Okay? Depart. You have victory. We are more than conquerors who are in Christ Jesus. So though God doesn't promise us a perfect life, 
free from pain and suffering. He has given us the answer to overcome every single one of them, no matter how high the mountain is or low the valley is. So just like how David said, depart from me, you can look at, at you know, these emotions that are taking you captive. And say, be gone from me. Leave me. You can tell the enemy, depart, for I am the Lord's. I belong to him. I am his beloved child. I am the sheep protected and loved by the good shepherd. Can we say that with all confidence? Literally, look at fear, hopelessness, anguish, depression, and say, you don't belong here. Say it with authority. Say it with authority given to you by Jesus Christ. Says, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weakness. This again, it ties together with you know the the Psalms we've read previously. This idea that David has this assurance that God hears him, and this is true because he has had an ongoing relationship with God. If you are someone who talks to God on a daily basis, on a regular basis, then of course you, you build that rapport and you build that assurance that He can hear you, He hears you. That He knows you. You are spending time with Him. And for us who are sitting here, may we spend time with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The question is not does do you know God? Everyone will say, I know Jesus. Everyone can. It's, it's so easy to say. People can say that while they're riled up and angry even, to the point of anger to say, hey, how dare you say, I don't know God? How dare you? It's like, all right, fine. The real question is, does he know you? David knows, yeah, he hears me. Because he has heard my voice many times before. I am not a new and foreign voice to him. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. When you are in periods of darkness, whether it is self-afflicted or it just comes because of being a human being in this fallen world, whatever it may be, you just find yourself very similar to David's state right here. Never forget this, okay? Quickly turn your eyes to the, to the Lord. Quickly. I cannot stress that enough. Rest on the promise of God. 
cast your cares upon the Lord, for he will sustain you. In times of hopelessness, turn to the book that gives you living hope. Turn, combat death, combat the lies of the enemy with the truth of God. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Claim your victory by turning your eyes to the Lord and seeking Him in prayer. We fight our battles on our knees. And then the Lord comes to deliver us. And He will deliver you. Some of you guys say, He has delivered me. Amen. And He will deliver you again and again and again and again. Because our God is faithful. His faithfulness does not run dry. So 1 John 5.14, and this is the confidence we have toward Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He will hear us. Now that's the question, isn't it? Like, How do we know if it's according to God's will? That's why I said, align your will with the will of God through prayer and reading His Word. Because when you do that, you begin to know His will. How do I know my wife so well? I spend every day with her. Okay? And I'm sure 20 years from now, I'm going to know more things about Esther than I do now. So I know what Esther likes and does not like. Because I spend enough time with her, I, I, I see her, and I know how she reacts to certain things so that I know I do it or not do it. So how do you know the will of God? Spend time with Him. Read His Word. This Word tells you His heart, His likes, His dislikes. Come to the Lord in prayer and the Holy Spirit also will reveal to you the heart of God. Who can search the, the mind of God except the, the, God, the Spirit of God Himself? So when we seek deliverance and we find it from above, from our Lord, who is faithful and just, and for all of us sitting here, we have that sure uh, hope found in Jesus Christ. Cry out to Him. He is your Savior. He is your key to victory.